the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 18, recorded Friday, July 26th, 2013. AV Greg Sings. Welcome to EdTech, the education-focused AV podcast put on to you by the fine folks at AV Nation. My name is Tom Albright. I am your host because nobody else showed up in the studio today. Uh, with us, as <laughs> always, uh, from the great Northeast, his name is Scott Tyner. He works at Bates College. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. This nice July summer day. It's gorgeous. It's crazy. Uh, it's actually 70-some-odd here today in St. Louis, so it's, it's weird a weird July. Uh, straight down the East Coast, working for George Mason. Uh, his name is Matthew Silverman. How are you, sir? Doing well. Also having some beautiful 80-degree weather here in sunny Fairfax, Virginia. Woohoo! Just down the street from Infocom International. And straight across the whole entire country, his name is Greg Brown. He works for UCLA, where it's always a sunny 65 or 70 degrees. How are you? Hello, I'm just fine, and actually it's 66 and overcast, but uh, I've, I've got a jacket here in case I, I need to Lord, resort to it. 60, you, <laughs> you have a portable heater. I mean, we, we don't want any emergencies. Actually, actually, I do have a portable heater. It's oh, not a lot. Lord. <laughs> Seriously. I run my AC until it hits 55. Our, our space is because I have a portable heater because our offices don't have heat. Because you live in Calif- Southern California, what do you C- want? Consider consider that concept, and and yeah, these great big old brick buildings get pretty freaking cold in the middle of winter sometimes. You, you know, we may need to take away your geek car because if you don't have enough electronics equipment to generate mm-hmm. that heat, you you have a problem there. There is that is true. <laughs> I, I can now see why the state of California has money problems. You're running electric heaters in every room, and you're wasting money on putting um, little magical signs in the floor. Yeah, well, don't tell anyone. <laughs> All right. Nobody listens to this, right? No, no. At least nobody in California. They can't figure out how it works. Uh, <laughs> this Does week, not surprise. This month, we're going to talk about uh, touching panels and stuff. And actually, there's one story where you can't touch it. They they don't want you to. It's a it's a touchless touch panel. It's weird. Uh, Chromecast, the latest and greatest things from the guys at Google, and. This isn't the first time we talked about 4K on this show, but I, I've been trying to get away from it, and I freaking can't. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to touch on 4K today. Uh, but first, we're going to tackle digital signage. Our fine friend here, Mr. Scott Tyner, is also a blogger for Rave Pubs, ravepubs.com. And I, don't know, I think this is your most recent uh, blog, but I, I was interested in it because you talk about digital signage and specifically in, in education. It's an interesting thing, and I don't know about the, you guys, but it depends on the organization. That determines, I think, like the culture, determines who is responsible for digital signage. So based on your, your writing, Scott, I take it that the AV guys and that, that department at, at Bates, you guys are the ones responsible for, for digital signage. 
So we're the ones responsible for the technology of digital signage. Uh, much You can compare what we do, and I'm assuming most people do this at this point, with what we do with our web pages. So we're responsible for the hardware. We're responsible for the support of the hardware, getting it installed. Um, but as far as content goes, there's a distributed method of how content gets updated and created. Okay. So talk about that. Talk about the technology part because you're not you know you you're not the graphics people for that, but you're the ones who who spec the players and who spec the the flat panels. That's right. And so um, you know we started out digital signage probably four years ago um, with uh, you know just somebody coming in saying oh I've got this idea I want to put it in one of our academic buildings showcase some student work and what they were asking us to do because they knew it would they thought it would save money is to put a TV up with a um, Mac Mini behind it hmm. and run a PowerPoint. And uh, to this day, I'm so thankful I convinced them not to do that because we would have 16 Mac Minis running PowerPoint across campus right now, um, and my life would be very unpleasant. Uh, so we use a we you know as you know there's just tons of software out there. We use uh, a product called Type Tightrope Media Systems. Um, it's networked. It's server based. Um, it's it for the um, content providers. It's web based, so they log on to a web web interface. Our communications office has made some templates. They pick a template, they put a picture up, they put some text up, um, and and they're they're going. They're updating their own content, and it looks really great. Uh, can share content between signs and all that stuff. Some of the things that we're really starting to think about now, and my next our, uh, uh, column actually talks about this, is. Um, some of the different ways that you can use digital signage in um, waiting areas um, and kind of creating environments with them as opposed to right now what we're doing a lot of is just um, point of transit. You know, you're walking by a sign, you get five seconds to look at it, so you want to advertise something. Yeah. And we're, we're thinking about some ways to do um, some more interesting things for people that have a few more minutes and not just those five seconds. Well, and you, you, you also raise another point which I found interesting in the, in in the education world, honestly, uh, that it's it, it's a it's a phrase I don't hear very often, at least in the meetings I go to, and that's return on investment, uh, the ROI for digital signage. Um, typically, at least at least for the ones that I've been in, it's it's more or less like you know, do we need this, and and will it make sense? Not will it uh, will it give us a return on our investment? Um, is that something that you guys talked about? And if, if it is, what is the ROI for digital signage? We haven't. I, you know, I, I think that um, it's something that would be really interesting for somebody to come up with. A, I'd love to see a really great presentation, and maybe they've existed, on methods of determining ROI, not just for digital signage, for anything in education. You know, our classrooms that we spend 50, 60, 70 grand on, and you're, you know, you're not doing something like, you know, doubling the amount of students and, you know, but, you know, where, where is the return on investment on any of that stuff? Um, I think that some of the new, the new things we're thinking about, um, and I'll just give you an idea, in our admissions office, you know, there's a waiting room. And so you, rather than putting a digital sign there that just runs through pictures every five seconds, you can use that to create an environment. You can put some videos up there of a su student talking about, you know, their, their first year at Bates and maybe put their Twitter tag up there. So really create a, um, an environment for them. And I think that in admissions, you can go, well, you can study that return on investment maybe a little bit um, because you're, you're kind of selling something in the admissions office. Uh, but when you walk into our science building and there's a, a sign on the wall uh, that says, you know, 
Bio 103 registration ends next week. You, 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 I'd love to know how you figure out <laughs> return on investment on that because I don't. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to hear you know if, if UCLA or 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 uh, George Mason, some of these bigger schools, uh, you know, maybe use some advertisements, sell advertisements. I mean, that's one thing we've thought of. We're, we're smaller, so we don't do it, but that could certainly give you some you know real inter- return on investment. Matt, go ahead. It's funny you mentioned that. It's actually um, our auxiliary enterprises group, uh, which is our revenue unit, handles a digital signage at George Mason. Uh, we're not uh, we're not actually involved with it. And they uh, did an RFP process where they ended up partnering with, I believe it's Orca, uh, for a revenue-supported model uh, for the digital signage products. So I, I don't know exactly what the breakdown is or if we've actually seen a return on it uh, since it's not within our area. But the idea is that content is split uh, between free advertised George Mason provided content and uh, advertiser content. And most of our displays right now are in um, student union type areas or student convergence areas. Um, the people who are doing this in academics largely have installed their own solutions. We actually have a lot of, as you mentioned, the Mac Mini Plus display solutions uh, that people have rolled out. But we're also starting to see a lot of people uh, roll out the uh, the like the, the the relatively inexpensive monitor solutions, which have the very lightweight digital signage actually baked in. Uh, we're using some of that in our uh, computer labs so it's kind of a mixed environment but the official solution right now is actually like i said a revenue-based solution but there is a way then to to if if it's a revenue-based solution there's a way to get an roi but like scott's talking about there's not i mean you're right (laughs) i mean how do you how do you get the the return on investment on a system and depending on you know what the the life cycle uh, that you give it, depending on, and that also depends on the the culture of the of the educational institution. We have a a seven or eight year refresh on our projectors. So, if the projector is a thousand or two thousand dollars, and you and you know you you split that up over eight years, then you have to have so many classes, right? Is that kind of what you're talking about, Scott? Yeah, and I think that you know. I think that you need some creativity, and I think that Matt pointed out, you know, he his he's got a department that works on generating this revenue, who takes care of digital signage. Ours, as I mentioned, we, we're divided between technical right now and content. But you know, for example, our one our main academic building, we've got a digital sign right, and it's open until two or three in the morning. I don't I don't think it's IT's job, but I don't know why somebody doesn't call Papa John's and say, hey, for five hundred bucks a year. Do you want to have an ad that shows at, you know, uh, 11 o'clock at night for 10 minutes, at 12 o'clock at night for 10 minutes with, you know, a, uh, a QR code that somebody just snaps and they're, they're dialed right into you and ordering a pizza? Yeah. You know, did, I estimate our digital signage installations cost about $7,000 per system that we put on a wall. And so, you know, even 500 bucks, you get, you know, four or five of those and you've, you've made some money back. Uh, but a lot of it's got to do with culture, and um, you know, Bates. You know, I'm not sure that they want to give that image of somebody walking in and seeing a Papa John's ad sitting on the screen. Um, but yeah, other other than that kind of thing, you know, how do you how do you how do you find that information? I I still don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
and that that actually would be an interesting an interesting um article to kind of delve into and and take you know one of your your high profile rooms or maybe your your premier room and, and look at it and figure out how much money was spent on it how many classrooms and, and how many of those students you know how much those kids are paying per credit hour or maybe per semester and see how many semesters it would take to actually get your ROI. Well, uh, one interesting thing with that, and I used to talk about this a lot with project management in higher education, we don't necessarily always define return on investment as a monetary thing in higher ed because depending on your your institution, most of us are nonprofit or even state institutions. And because of that, you may want to look for a return on an, uh, on an objective or a goal. And it may not actually – your return may not be monetized. It, it may be something more more abstract. Yeah, but even – I mean, nowadays, you know, every, every college probably has issues. And, and state colleges, um, I think, have, have bigger issues. But I, that's my own personal point of view. Uh, you've got to, you know, scrape every dime and make sure that, that you've got, you know, not, not necessarily a return as far as making a profit, but making sure that what you're purchasing, um, I guess is, 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 um, achieving the goal, yeah. uh, with, within the, the, the span of not making money, but how do I put this? Um, making oh, you, sure you, you go ahead. I can say you, you're, what you're actually getting into is institutional assessment okay. and, I mean, uh, you know, there, there are ways to look at it, um, you know, and, and it really depends, I guess, where your mandate comes from. You know, one of the mandates we've had at George Mason is to put basic technology in every classroom as fast as possible. Uh, we still haven't got to 100%. I think last I checked, we're somewhere around 80% or so. And what we've actually looked at is the return on those last uh, classrooms doesn't justify cost until we we fully renovate the space but you you have to look at what the outcome you're trying to achieve and sometimes you know for us it was as much about creating the uh, environment of being a high-tech university as assisting uh, faculty and in their instruction so the, the, again it's often a non-monetary objective and you just have to align your expenses towards whatever your institutional goals are, I guess, is kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I, I couldn't, I agree completely, Matt. And I think that some things you can look at, I, I think that, and again, it, it's like now this fourth department we can work with. We've got an institutional research and analysis department at Bates. Who would need to do some of this work for us? Because, for example, let's say we want to advertise Italy, you know, semester abroad in Italy. How How can we say that the digital sign made 10 people aware of it that wouldn't have been aware of it before. Um, or like you said, when you're, when you're installing a classroom, we, we are at 100% now. We do, a, we, we do a little bit of that in my department so that I can tell you that um, you know, uh, usage stats from our classrooms. And so while that's not a, a monetary thing, I can tell you it's being used. And um, you know, do you study um, faculty satisfaction with it? Do you study... Um, you know, faculty responses as to whether or not they, they, they feel they're more effective with that technology. All those things I find are really fascinating, but need to be answered because, you know, as the, the first, you know, I, I'm the first one who's going to say, don't, I mean, I'll do it for you because you're paying for it, but don't put a sign on a wall that costs you $7,000 if you have no idea why you're putting it there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, Mr. Brown, you've been awfully quiet on this one. Are you... <laughs> 
just putting that out there. Um, c- coming to me last, thinking that UCLA is going to be some bright, shining, digital signage city on a hill, right? Um, well, prepare to be disappointed. Um, I, actually, digital signage is really kind of an embarrassment around here, I think. There's, um, there's really no central co- control or direction, so it's, it's, it's very much the Wild West. It's every department for themselves. So every, every little school or department has their sign or two or three, and everything is different sizes and shapes, and or they're too low or they're too high or they're too far out from the wall. And... I mean, just some of the qualities of the installs are just, just downright alarming, and um, so it's it's really pretty much just a great big mess. Um, we we have one of the um, one of the eating areas here that has uh, has probably twenty signs scattered about uh, that they normally are playing music videos on, and. Um, they just upgraded their monitors, and they went with like what looks like a 40-inch monitor or something about that size. Unfortunately, they didn't change the brackets from the previous monitors, which are about two inches wider on each side. Oh my! So you have the the black metal old brackets sticking out on either side of the of the new monitors. I mean, it's just really, really a classy look. And um, there, there's <laughs> another. The money uh, they saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's, we, we uh, call those architectural features. Oh, <laughs> you know what I, what I, when I hear all of this, one thing I do think about though is that this is a, a huge market for an integrator or an installer, even an advertising company, to to come in. And if you know you're really smart, you could go to a place like UCLA as an advertising company, and sell them. You know, a plan and a strategy. I I think there's a lot of money in a place like that. I mean, you know, you'd, you'd have to state get state of California probably doesn't have any money to spend. But. Well, yeah, you'd you'd have to get 200 departments to agree to uh, to agree on it to make it happen, though. Well, and and that, Scott, what you just described is actually, from what I understand, our relationship with Orca is that the, you know they provide us a turnkey service. Oh wow! Um, so and that that includes the revenue generation that they actually bring the advertising to the table. It's um, and they manage the whole infrastructure and back you know the back end. We just basically I guess I don't I don't know if we pay for install or that's included, but then we just provide the GMU specific content, which actually goes directly into their system. So. I- you know, I mean, if you actually thought about it, like, I mean, I'm getting excited yeah. here because I want to join this company, Orca. If you thought <laughs> about it, like, they could almost go, could go give you all this stuff free, Matt. Mm-hmm. They get your oh, advertisements yeah. and they just give you, even they give you a little kickback. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, if that's, you, if you do this right. <laughs> and, and I know they're not Absolutely. the only player in that. There, there, there are a couple of companies who are actually doing this where, again, you know, and I think I, I don't know. We get something like fifty percent of the impressions, or something like that. So it's still very much a GMU feel. But you know, it, it, it's really at least in our environments, these are largely in student unions, a win-win-win, because we're okay with advertising because we already have other types of advertising in these environments. We we have um, a series of digital signs here in another of the eating places on campus that are. Uh, 
promoting a, a bunch of events coming up in September. And at this point, you're you know you're starting to think, okay, they're they're getting a jump on uh, you know what's coming up for for fall. And well, no, I go through there every week or two, and I realize that it's the same series of ads that they've been running for the last year. Oh wow. Yeah, so so content is also a huge issue here. But <laughs> so when you I, show up for that concert in, <laughs> in September, yeah, there's nobody there. Exactly. You'll know why. They still exactly. advertising the Beatles concert that they had. Never. Right. I I think I think the bigger story here, however, is that there is in fact delivery pizza in Lewiston, Maine. Oh come oh, on! Come on! <laughs> I told you we got like sixty thousand people. That's we're a lot. A, we're a we're a rocking metropolis. <laughs> you realize you're talking to the UCLA boy when you said that, right? <laughs> they have three hockey teams, four baseball teams. Hey, listen, we, we've got the, the Twin Cities over here, Lewis and Auburn. And so we call where, where UCLA is, we call that the other LA. Uh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> very, I like that. All right. Uh, 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 let's, you know what, let's, let's, let's kind of continue this conversation because a lot of people use digital signage for... Emergency notification. Dun, dun, dun. Um, dear Lord, this was, when was that? Um, it was a few years ago, probably 10 now. Uh, there was an incident at a nightclub in Delaware? Delaware. Um, and just different, uh, there was a, it was a fire at a rock show, and, and it was a horrible accident, and, and people lost their lives. Delaware was like one of the first states to say look you know what in any large group emergency notification was one of these things you have to have signs up and you have to have give people you know proper egress notifications and this that and there and then of course we all we had you know the every month or so it almost feels like uh there's some sort of school tragedy so almost every single state has mandated hey you have to have some sort of plan uh on your educational facility uh that allows people to be notified allows you know buildings to be either locked down or, or secured in some way so mr greg brown what does ucla have <laughs> oh god ah we're we're on a roll here today Never um, mind. <laughs> yeah we um we we didn't uh, we didn't have anything i mean the rooms have the you know the fire strobes and enunciators mm -hmm. but um we we didn't have any sort of campus system and um being the the i think the um budget minded public university that we are they they put a bunch of these like voice of god speakers out on a handful of buildings scattered around campus um you know up on towers the idea being that they are are broadcasting can broadcast tones and messages so loud that anybody anywhere can hear them and understand them and and i remember the first time they they fired it off you know for first of all it's it's just well, it, it, it's pr it probably works because, I mean, it's just this really obnoxious uh, tone, you know. It says, you know, the first time I heard it, it's like, my God, somebody is strangling a goat over a PA system. Um, but 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 then the, the voice fires up, and the, the nearest one to me is on the adjacent building. It's on the top of a... The top, I, I can see it from my window here. It's on the top of a three-story building. I'm on the ground floor of the adjacent building. And whenever the announcement goes off, what I hear is something along these lines. 
It's continued that way. Apparently, it's, it's really, really clear and, and deathly loud if you're up on the third floor. But if you're down on the ground floor or even outside below it, it's almost unintelligible. It's it's just really an an amazing, I I, I I guess it's, I guess it probably gets us off of some legal hook in some way, but it's something which doesn't seem to have been done with any sort of technical or honest capability sort of vision whatsoever. Well, it, it's funny you, you, you mentioned intelligibility, and this is something that was brought up in the article, and I right. guess once again I'm putting my standards hat on, but if any uh, AV folks get roped into being involved with this conversation, something you have to think about is NFPA 72, which is the updated National Fire Protection uh, section, which deals with mass notification. And there were some new requirements put in the latest version, which actually talk about intelligibility of notification and have measurement requirements. Now, whether or not your locality has ad adopted the recent version is a, you know, talk to your code guys. But there's a really good uh, white paper on Infocom's website, which talks about how NFPA uh, 72 affects AV professionals. Because it's definitely something that if someone says, hey, we need your help with mass notification, you know, and which may happen to any of us uh, in higher ed, you, you want to be aware of because there actually are some requirements now. And speaking of standards, uh, Matt, what's the standard that you just worked on that's open uh, right now for public comment? Sure. Uh, that is the Audiovisual Systems uh, Performance Verification Standard, which if you go to infocom.org slash standards, you'll see a uh, link to go uh, review and comment on it. So go comment. Tell Matt how good of a job he did. So, uh, Mr. Good, Tyner. Good job, Matt. Mr. T oh, be quiet. Mr. Tyner, <laughs> what kind of uh, emergency notification do you guys have? Well, we've got the, the Voice of God speakers, and thankfully... Um, we only use them when we test, um, and I think. But we've also got uh, your standard email blasts, okay. your text blasts, your your phone blasts, um, and I'll tell you, I, I think one of the things we all really need to think about uh, is the. Uh, and I, I think actually this is even this is for law enforcement, not necessarily us. But uh, last s spring, there was a situation in my in my hometown, not in, in Lewiston, but in the town that I live, where my kids go to school where they had to lock down the schools. It turned out not to be anything serious, but we, we all got, you know, m me and my wife, our cell phones are ringing, you know, get this automated message, your kid's school has been locked down. And so I actually wonder what the value of that is, because I'll tell you what it did. Even though they said not to, it sent half the parents of the school to the school to go get their kids out of school. <laughs> you know, course. it just, you know. Um, so I think that you've got to think about all of that and what the purpose is. And so for me, you know, these, these Voice of God speakers, the purpose of those would be to tell people, unfortunately, there, there's something going on in this campus and you need to find cover immediately. Because yeah. uh, like Greg said, other than that, you, you know, other than <laughs> get on the ground and find cover, what you don't understand what these things are saying. Um, I think, and you know, I don't, I'm going to spoil another article that's coming up here um, for me, is about how we and AV can talk to people about some of the things that we can do. For example, um, 
how do we get it so that in a classroom we could activate a projector with an emergency message even mm -hmm. though it's not on? How could we get it to show up on a touch panel um, for a professor in a room um, without these kind of big loud announcements through everybody? If you're putting class capture and cameras and microphones in rooms, are there some ways that you can tie that in with your security office so that people can see into classrooms if there's an emergency? Um, so I think there's a lot of things that we can do in AV and IT. And um, I think it's, it's one of those things you hope to never use, um, but if you do need it, it, it would be invaluable and, and save lives. Yeah, absolutely it would. I mean, we, we have the, the texting like everybody else and phone calls and this, that, and the other. Um, emails go out. But I'm like, Scott, I'm actively re researching how we can tie our security system into our control system and how to take over projectors and how to zone it to where if it's one specific building, well, security hits that one button and it, it you know, uh, it can, if we have the capability, locks the doors and, um, you know, locks everybody in the, in the classroom if that's what they want, uh, but turns on projectors, goes to a specific screen and says, there's an emergency, please stay put, or there's an emergency, do the X, Y, Z. Well, one of the best examples I've seen of this is, was uh, done by a friend of mine named uh, Alan Durocher, who works over at uh, a little school called uh, USC, which you might have heard of. Never heard of it. And yeah, yeah, our crosstown rivals. And um, they they use a couple of different systems. In part, they use uh, Global uh, Global Viewer uh, Enterprise mm -hmm. by Extron and, and some other back-end stuff such that they have cameras in all of the classrooms and... In in some areas, it varies a lot from school to school. The idea of putting cameras in the classrooms becomes a big political football. It is here. You can't have, you can't just put live cameras in without the instructors knowing about it, sort of thing. But they were able to sell this as a uh, we we won't record audio, but we will record video and it will be a security backup and that's how they were able to to get everybody's buy-in on that and um, they they literally um, he'll he'll do talks at the show and stuff like that and it's a the fascinating talk he gives he'll have an an iPad and he will call up the rooms and he literally can scroll in his iPad through all of these little live images of all of his classrooms uh, can re resize them, uh, uh, make them bigger or smaller, or, or make you know look into a room you know full screen and see what's going on. They use, also use it for uh, diagnosing problems uh, people are having with the AV, and also in some cases um, for for uh, uh, helping instructors uh, deal with the, the AV. But just a very fascinating system, and it was that security aspect that really let them um, advance it and uh, go forward with it and get everybody's buy-in. No, absolutely. Uh, you are listening to EdTech. That guy right there is Greg Brown. Scott Tyner is here. And Matthew Silverman, continuing on. Uh, Jeremy Birch, uh, who writes for, uh, also writes for Rave Pubs, is one of Mr. Tyner's uh, compadres there, had an interesting article. And um, it, 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 basically, he compares two different products and I'm going to say different in quotation marks because that's kind of the point of the article. Uh, the title is one of these things is exactly like the other. He compares Crestron's Air Media, uh, the AM100, with, is it Cuomo? 
I think so. Como QWPS 100. Um, basically, here's here's the the specs on them. They're both the same size. They're both the same weight. Uh, they have basically the same connectors on the back. Uh, they do both basically the same thing. They have a couple differences. Crestron obviously will tell you uh, if there are any Crestron uh, devices on the network. You can do a customizable welcome screen. There are 32 uh, connected sources on the Crestron. There's only 20 on the Cuomo for some reason. Uh, and then it gets down to the price. 1600 list for the Crestron, 500 for the Cuomo. And then he asks a very interesting question. He says... Is that worth, is the Crestron name and, and the other added benefits worth three times the price? So, Mr. Silverman, granted, these guys are probably OEMing them from someone, or some, one of them is OEMing them from the other. Uh, is it, is, are, are the added, you know, the added 12 uh, sources and this, that, and the other worth the list price difference? Well, First off, I actually am pretty sure they're both OEMing them from AWIND. Okay. Uh, and because AWIND has a product called the WIPG 1000, which, if you take a look at it, looks awfully like both of them. Um, and as I remember from seeing it at the show, it sure looked like the internal OS on the Crestron 1 was actually pretty close to the AWIND one. Um, that being said, I believe AWIND, uh, which, as you remember from a previous show, was purchased by Barco uh, earlier this year, uh, makes something like 80% of the wireless presentation stuff on the market. So that's not a surprise. The, the, the question, I guess, that I look at this is, what does it bring to the table? And for me, when I look at it, one, no one's going to be paying 1600 a unit from Crestron if you are. You got ripped off. I, I don't know the last time anyone actually <laughs> paid retail for Crestron. I'll tell you a story uh, later. Oh, boy. Um, but um, what I've generally seen from Como products on the market, and again, I, I don't quite know where this one is, their retail is generally somewhere in the ballpark of what street is on their products. Okay. So maybe it's about a $400 on street price. But I think the uh, Crestron product is probably more like eight $900 street maybe even a thousand what for me though it brings is it brings the enterprise level of integration which the the other products don't have and that's worth a lot if i'm designing this into a system if i'm doing just like a one-off display and we want to connect wirelessly probably the como product would work but if you're looking at it as part of an integrated product particularly if you're a heavy crestron environment being able to build it in programmatically to the rest of your system is really really important and you know taking this outside of our world is one of the reasons like you know you look in networking why people design complete cisco environments it's because everything will work together so you're paying for that you're paying also for a higher level of tech support and things like that you know are we paying too much for the air media i don't know yet i haven't actually had a chance to go hands-on and evaluate one uh but my guess is they did a lot of market research to figure out what the price point is because the Como product and the, you know, Awin's own product have been on the market for a while. So I, I think you can't just look at this at the commodity level like you can a display or a uh, projector as part of an integrated system. But if you're looking at it as a stand up, standalone product, 
you're probably going to be better with a less expensive product if you don't have to worry about integration. That's a good point. That's a good point, uh, Mr. Tyner. The, the you know uh, apples to apples and and you know and and Matt's right. You know if you're paying list price for a Crestron system, send me the name of your integrator and we'll go slap them around. Um, is it is it kind of is it worth you know maybe the four or five hundred dollars extra that you might end up paying for the Crestron product? Well, if we're going to compare apples to Crestron, uh, then you're talking about what a hundred dollars compared <laughs> oh, come to uh, nine hundred dollars. But no, I, I agree completely with Matt. There are programming hooks and all kinds of other things in this Crestron product that, uh, and I know you know Matt from what he said before does does all this kind of stuff too, where you're you're trying to f see if there's a signal there, and you know you you trigger other things if there is a video signal. Um, that you can't get out of any other product that Crestron's putting in there. I think you know the. Um, I think the really interesting thing that I thought about when I read this article was, and some other conversations we've had, is how important it is for a company to get you initially tied into them. Because you know, for those of us who are tied into Crestron, it's so hard now to not buy something that they put out. Because we're, we're we're so reliant on all of their little the little things that they add, um, and you know we've had a discussion offline about you know what what could you do to um, if you're going to switch over to another thing and, and some people are like I you, I can't really yeah. now, and um, as I look as I look and I think oh maybe I'd try this product from this company, um, it's almost like I'd have to do that in a complete full room. Um, then and knowing it's not going to integrate with my other rooms, it's just it's so it's so amazing how important it is that first initial contact and getting getting your product in. No, absolutely, and, and that's one thing is is you you may be all you know fall in love with a completely different product line, but you you have invested heavily in in another one, and so you're right, you're you you can't go anywhere. Um, Mr. Brown, is this is you know. All kidding aside, with with the AirPlay and, and Scott's right, you know, if you're going to do apples, you know, the real Apple, uh, comparing that to to Crestron, yeah, you know, absolutely. But uh, if we're going to compare the Crestron to the Cuomo, is it worth the the four or five hundred dollars uh, that you're going to end up paying? Yeah, I, I looked it up, and the uh, the A plus price, which is what all of us oh, higher yes. ed folks would get, was is a thousand dollars. There you go on the on the price list right now. So. Sort of, sort of in between there, six thousand uh, versus six hundred. So it's not quite a thousand, not not the thousand dollar difference there um, we were initially looking at. But still, yeah, that's a that's a chunk of money. And I think um, you know it depends on what you're doing. If if I'm uh, building a, a a glitter room that's on a deadline that a lot of important people are going to see, I'm probably going to start out with the uh, the the Crestron box if it's got an interface with the system in any way, shape, or form. Because I mean, you know, the 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 control system is is kind of the heart of the system and. You know, I, I I I can speak to my experience with now Crestron and Extron. You know, if you have a problem in the control system, um, you know, those folks will go above and beyond pretty much helping you figure out what the problem is if it's within their equipment. It's it's when you get out into the outlying pieces and some of these other companies that um, you know you might start to have problems. That being said. 
if I was going to build up other rooms and I had a chance to maybe fiddle around with the, you know, prototype up the system for the second round and and screw around with it a bit and, and do some troubleshooting, I might also get myself a Cuomo box and slip it in there and, and see what happens. You know, 600 or, or what is it, 500 bucks, um, you know, not much ventured, not much gained, not much lost. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that tells me that that Cuomo box is um, intended for these smaller installs is the fact that they, they've got a wireless access point in there. Um, right. I hate any product that comes in and tells me that, oh, we're going act as a wireless access point. You guys will love it. And it's like, actually, if you say that in front of my network engineers, you've just set me back three years. <laughs> so, you know, Ooh, yeah. the thought... That in in Crestron used to do some of this. They you know with their wireless touch panels, be like, well, yep. just go get a Linksys at Walmart and use that. <clears throat> yeah, okay, right. And they don't do that anymore because they know that's just ridiculous. Um, but you know, so I think that this company's you know they're maybe looking at some of the smaller elementary schools or something like that that actually might integrate that wireless access point. Um, but anybody who walks into you know I'm imagining George Mason or Bates yeah. or UCLA or any corporation knows the network people and rightfully so are not going to just let random access points be well, put on the network. No. And you hit the point that I, I was thinking about, which is what made the Crestron product so attractive to me is it doesn't have wireless. I can work with my networking team to put it on our network where it needs to be and then take it from there. Um, but I, I think you're right about the Como product is that, you know, if, if you're, you know, building you know you're you're k-12 you're building a classroom probably on a grant or something it's a fantastic way to get you there quickly and it, it, it just it's finding the right you know the right tool for the right application and i i think it's something which is becoming a little bit of a challenge within av right now as we're seeing a lot of commoditization in certain product lines understanding which product lines you should accept commoditization and which ones you really need to look for differentiation. No, that's a, that's a very good point because you know, when you comes down to it, it has to work. So. This is uh, not part of our storyline, but I, I just have to plug this in there for a second, Matt, because I know that you'll appreciate this. this. The state of Maine has recently decided that instead of laptops, they're going to give all middle schoolers iPads. And along with well. that, what they've done <laughs> is given – listen to this. This is the best part. Apple TVs. And they're going to put an Apple TV <laughs> in every classroom. Because that way students can just present their stuff wirelessly. Oh Pretty my cool, right? Lord. I, I, I was I, in our, I was I, in our I, local public high school the other day, and there were literally 150 Apple TVs sitting there, and I thought, good luck to you. <laughs> so somewhere there is a middle school IT director crying in a corner. <laughs> yeah. Why do you hate me? Yeah, Matt, Matt just <laughs> exactly. That? Or uh, uh, Scott just said, "Good luck." Meanwhile, the IT guy standing next to him passed out. Yeah, <laughs> you did. Had what? a heart attack on the spot. Jeez, yeah, that's. Or what would be even better is if the AV guy says, "Hey, I'll just do this," and the IT guy won't mind at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, since we're talking about K through twelve schools, the IT guy, the AV guy, the help desk guy, and the computer repair guy are all the same guy. Well, that's true too. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that is true too. And and none of those guys have any clue. No. <laughs> what kind of a disaster they're in right now? 
Jeez. Wow. Yeah, um, L.A. Unified School District made the decision um, also a few weeks ago to just roll out um, iPads on I, – I forget exactly what the scale is, but, yes, yeah, some sort of massive scale across many grades. Yeah. Good luck to them. Uh, <laughs> we're going to – you know, I don't think we've ever talked about racks on, on any of our shows. So we're going to take a stab at it. What the hey? Uh, one of the fine gentlemen on this podcast uh, forwarded this to us. It is a Lowell model SLS sliding latching shelf. Okay. Now, nothing really exciting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a rack shelf, right? And it has a sliding latch. It's a sliding shelf and it latches and that, you know. Okay, cool. Awesome. Groovy. It, it does have, now, to be fair, it does have stops at a number of different positions so it won't roll in and out like most of them will yeah so you look at features and it's a rack mount shelf and uh measures 17 and a half wide by 14.625 deep it's 16 gauge weighs 13 pounds it has a 15 pound load capacity a black semi-gloss enamel finish slightly more than one u panel do you think he's drawing this base. out a Slightly more than one U. Slight. What the freak? <laughs> so if you don't know what a panel space is, a, hence, a rack unit is my frustration a, with it. A rack unit is one point seven five inches, right? Yes. This is two and a half inches, so it's not even a two rack unit. It's like almost and, there. And two rack units would be a mere three and a half inches. One point seven five plus one point seven five. Yeah. But no, we have to go one and a little more than a half, are you? Why? <laughs> well, hen hence my... Frustrations. <laughs> sub yes, yes, because I... Now, I, I know there are people who do not put uh, rack plates in every rack space. Uh, when, when they build a rack, they can do something like this. But I think most of us are in the world where, you know, if we don't put a rack plate, we have, you know, little wandering fingers of mm -hmm. aspiring AV engineers looking to rewire our systems for us. And so I, it, it, it looked for a minute like it was going to fit a really nice need that I've got. But then it's like one and a half rack here. It's like, and, and you know, it's like, what the hell, guys? And, you know, if you're going to do something like that, give me, g give me like a half rack space blank that I can put in there to make it a two rack unit or just make the darn thing, you know, another. I don't know why they couldn't have made this a little thinner and made it one rack space, per really. But No, the, just, the half rack I, space yeah, is, is one of the accessories you can buy with this. Is there? A, it, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there is. No, I, don't I looked. And, you know, it, it, the issue, you know, I, we, we, we do blanks as well, Greg, and the issue for me is not just um, – it, it's the lack of logic that seems to have gone into this, which is it will take two spaces in your rack. Yes. It will. So make it two spaces. Exactly. I, it just it, – it's – it, it, and they're not even sell, trying to – I mentioned to you that I did buy one a while ago, not from this manufacturer, from another. They didn't even exactly say that it was larger than one RU and you couldn't stick something on top of it and it really ticked us off. They come right out and say it. Slightly larger. That's my best part. Yeah. Well, that's like what? Three-quarters of an inch. <laughs> I mean it's not like it's you know, <laughs> one little you know, tiny bit. But is that it just, there's no logic. 
there's no reason to go, well, we don't really want a two space one. It just what does Mr. Standards think about that? That's what I want. <laughs> yeah, it's not like they don't know how big a rack unit is. They make racks. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, I, they're going to start a new standard for racks. Oh, there we go. Has anybody seen fractional? I, I know we have the half rack width, and I applaud. Who was that? That's was Extron in Middle Yeah, Extron started. Right? Yeah. It was yeah. Extron, and, and, and there's a couple other people. A, and there, there's a lot for that. I think there, that was at least a, a couple people who got on board a, with that one. A smart move there. That's a useful thing. I haven't used it yet, but I can see the use in that. But but this vertically fractional with no alternative. I'm sorry, Matt, go ahead. Yes. No, I, I one, I, I, I guess I'm having a hard time having the same level of emotion over a rack. But <laughs> I, 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 I guess everyone has their own little, you know, passionate items. Um uh, yeah, I, for me, I, I took one look at this, and I, I'll be honest, and I asked Greg before we started the show, I said, I just didn't get it. Because uh, I was like, yeah, um, I, I, I know another manufacturer, or I could buy a two-rack uh, unit one, which does the same thing if I needed that. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, guys, finally, we're going to talk about 4K, and I don't believe I'm going to do this. Um, a couple of different ones actually. I Dell has higher huh? show. I thought this was a higher it, show. Well, it is, and well, for, first of all, that's why I'm going to start with the Dell one. Uh, the Dell has uh, a UHD, and if you don't know what UHD is, um, UHD is not quite 4K, so they call it ultra high definition. Um, it is actually three thirty-eight forty by twenty-one sixty, so it's not exactly 4K. Uh, 4K is double HD, uh, double 1080p. Um, Dell has a new 32-inch uh, UHD display. And then you look at TCL. Um, so they have probably the first sub-$1,000 4K uh, monitor that I've seen. Uh, it's a 50-inch uh, 4K uh, TV for $999. Good night. Um, Matt is is 4K in general because uh, Greg's right. This is an education show, so let's let's put the education spin on this. Is this something we're going to have to worry about? And if so, when? Just 4K in general. Yes, but in specific applications. And I've actually started having a lot of conversations, both at George Mason, but also with people just uh, in the field outside of George Mason, that we're starting to see a lot of our science and engineering folks really start thinking about 4K uh, from an application point of view. If they're doing design work, if they're doing visualization work, you really can't have enough resolution. And I was looking at the 99, you know, actually both of these items, I looked at the $99 panel and I said, you know, I bet I know that the director in our IT department may actually go out and buy one of those and install it himself because he's done stuff like this before. And while it may not be something which we feel is the greatest panel of all time, the idea of having that resolution is very important for some of their applications. Similarly, I'm, I'm looking at both the Dell monitor and also this whole slew of new super high uh, resolution laptops which have been coming out lately and saying, I, I think I'm going to start seeing, again, specialized requests for this in a lot of our environments. So I would say I put this on the next year timeline where we're going to start get, seeing pressure to deploy this uh, for application specific things. 
Wow. Uh, Scott, when are we going to start worrying about 4K? And is- yeah, no, I mean, I think I, I agree with Matt. It's, it's when, um, when we get to a point that people need it. And I think, like, you know, when you start talking about really large screens, um, certainly the resolution even becomes more and more important. The truth is I, I, I have paid very little attention to the whole 4K issue just because um, – I don't know. I'm focusing on other things, and for me, with 4K, it's like when somebody comes and tells me I need it, I guess I'll pay more attention to it. That's probably not the best way to approach it, but it's my method right now. You need it. You need it. It's 4K. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You'll be behind until we get to 8K, and then you'll be really behind. And then they'll have 16K with OLED, AM, ooh, AM OLED. That would be awesome. I'm waiting until I can take a a, uh, 16K. Um, hundred inch diagonal folded up in my back pocket. Then I'm gonna go for that. Oh, give them time, Mr. Tyner. Uh, at least that's what they'll claim until you actually sit on it and break it. Uh, Greg, when are we gonna have to start worrying about 4K? I I think 4K will be a bigger story in higher ed in probably about four or five years once we get past all of the the first generation digital systems that we're all rushing to try and roll out now and 4k has had a chance to mature and those systems start those first generation systems uh start to get a little bit long in tooth i think then more of us are going to be looking at it um seriously that's that's a good analogy one quick question uh before i let you guys go are we out of the 3d woods yet like do we did we pass that by Oh my goodness! <laughs> Who was that, and what were they doing? That was that was that was Mr. Greg. I think Greg's been drinking during the show. <laughs> I wish he would share. It's not even noon noon over there yet. Yeah, it's not even it's noon. It's five o'clock. o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Not even noon o'clock. You've been drinking too. Okay. <laughs> so Matt, you're the only sober one. Wait a minute. That you're the second sober one. <laughs> Uh, you just is there something I know I just <laughs> it is noon here so I don't know if that makes you know makes it any better yeah. but seriously I've, have we did we bypass that that horrible thing you know it, it, the 3d I, I again it's I, I think it's an application specific thing I've uh, I was on a listserv the other week I actually saw a 3d rear its head where someone actually did have an application for it and they were talking about well how do we deploy it um, did you say I, I just you don't, don't? Yeah, no, I, I just don't see mainstream, you know, need for 3D again. If someone is doing visualization, if with a lot of the science programs, you may have a need, but I, I just never see 3D being something we put into all of our classrooms. It, it just doesn't seem to have that mainstream adoption or need. Okay, very good. I, I, I think we'll leave that be. Uh, let that be the last word, unless Greg, you'd like to sing again. No. Okay, good. Uh, (laughs) This has been Greg Brown from UCLA. Uh, How can people find you, sir? Uh, Let's see. Um, uh, LinkedIn, and probably by the time this this show makes it to air, if it makes it to air, I will have another blog up on um, uh, Infocom All Voices Mm, blog location, spot, place. And probably at his local karaoke bars. I, w- I was going to say Broadway, you know. Well, uh, he, he is right next to Hollywood, so he could, you know. Uh, Mr. Scott Tyner. He's we're, a, we're all in show business here. We are. 
Uh, oh, no, you are. Uh, Scott Tyner is a blogger for uh, Rave Pubs and also works at, uh, at Bates College. Where can people find you, sir? Uh, I am on uh, Twitter mostly. I am also on LinkedIn. Um, and, of course, they can always find me once a month right here. Oh, very nice. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and last but not least, uh, my standards, um, <laughs> the standard of my standards, uh, Matthew Silverman from George Mason. Where can people find you, sir? Uh, at this point, LinkedIn mostly. Okay. Uh, you can also check out Mr. Silverman on the latest edition of Infocom Today, talking about the very standard that you can go check out. Actually, go seriously, go to uh, infocom.org forward slash standards, and you can get the uh, standard, to, and you can comment on it. Until when, Matt? Uh, until August 19th. Until August 19th. Very good. Uh, if you'd like to follow me, do it at your own risk. It's T.D. David Albright, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, but more importantly for me and everybody here at Aviation, go by the website, if you would, please, aviation.tv. Aviation.tv, there's this show. There's a show about control, live uh, staging and events, um, social, um, all sorts of other things. Uh, and also we do our weekly uh, AV Week. So... Uh, check that out if you would. Avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. This has been EdTech.